Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. Glad that you're here with us. Glad that you've joined us one more Sunday, or you might be checking us out. We encourage you again to check us out and go into the notes section of this, and there'll be a link to connecting with us. And we, we just really want to connect with you. Hit that button. Let us know you're here. I've been getting emails lately about, hey, we've been here for a few months, and I'm so glad to connect, but I'm also like, let's, let's connect right now. So hit that button. Let's get to know one another a little better, and let's see what the possibilities are here. And so, uh, yeah, welcome again. We're grateful to be able to worship Jesus Christ again this week, worship God, and uh, give Him our praise and our adoration. My name is Pedro Reese. I'm the lead pastor here, if I have not met you yet. And uh, to this week, I want to start doing a little bit differently uh, than uh, we normally do. I want to show this. A couple years ago, a number of years ago, my wife uh, and I went with her family to a uh, political hippie commune up in uh, Vermont. And I paused there because, I mean, let's be honest, Vermont and New Hampshire, I think there's the conspiracy theory that they are the same place, but they just call themselves two different states. You can't convince me otherwise. But we went up to Vermont and uh, it's called Bread and Puppet. It's just like the, the picture of whatever you're thinking of hippie commune, like most likely a lot of those things were there. There were a lot of repurposed school buses. There were a whole lot of uh, not showering. There were a lot of dreads. So uh, it was very interesting. It was uh, also pretty hilarious for me growing up in the New York City area to go see this. But um, it was great. It was actually fascinating. And on our way out... Anna and I saw this print, uh, and it just caught Anne's attention. I was like, yeah, sure, but over the years, it has spoken a lot to me. And I have it right here. It hangs up here in my office now, and it says this. It's kind of big. It's going to blot me out a little bit. But it's pretty, right? It's pretty, but its value to me isn't in what it says. It isn't in how it looks. It's what it says. To me, it communicates something so... Uh, perfectly Christian, from this place that uh, I did not expect to find anything profoundly Christian, and it wasn't intended to, but I think they captured something that's in the hearts, and God has given it in our hearts of all people. And it says this, it says, the picture Christ for water to carry, and a person for work that is real. I'll say it again. It says, the pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. So over the years, that has uh, meant a lot to me. And I think it, it expresses something that is profoundly Christian, profoundly belongs to God. It's that each and every single one of us are complex and we're deep, right? And we all are these... like culmination of all these dreams and all this personality and this character and this life and all this potential and we're multi-layered and we are not easy to understand but there's this one thing that is in each and every single one of us every person that has ever lived has had this sentiment of like wanting something that's real Finding uh, we're all on this quest for purpose, for meaning, for truth, for depth, for authenticity, for sincerity. 
and according to the Bible, a very good word, righteousness. That we're all on this journey here, make, trying to make sense of this life, trying to make sense of this one life that we're given, right? And so we join communities and we make friends and we search and we seek and billions of people have never heard of the name of Christ of Jesus, and they go about their lives searching. And many, many billions of Christians uh, who, who fill out some census saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, who are still on this journey and still pursuing and still on fire and still a seeker, right, in, in all the right ways. And we're looking for things that are meaningful, for answers that like really do something more than just tickle us or tell us what we want to hear, right, that we're, we're searching that even a seasoned believers who have been a part of the faith for decades, like right, the ones that we really admire are the ones that are still going at it, right? Still pursuing, still looking for Jesus around every corner, looking for answers, looking to make sense of all the craziness in this world. And I think it is pretty nicely expressed in, in the Bible over and over and over again. But let me read from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. It says this, it says, He has made, He being God, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. The New Living Translation says it this way, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the heart of in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And, and one more, the, the message translation says this, True, God made everything beautiful in itself and in its time, but He's left us in the dark, so we can never know what God is up to, whether He's coming or going. I think this is one of those like these verses that is unexpected in scripture but like it means so much and it adds such a magnitude to life and to our Lord. That's like yeah, we'll never truly figure out what he's doing, everything that he's done. He's always so beyond us, right? But he has put eternity in our hearts. He's put this quest for meaning and depth and for more in each and every single one of our hearts. I know you might, you might find some really unambitious people in life who really like genuinely don't care about very much. But I think most of the time I would guess that that's just like because life has been hard and they have been beaten down and it's easier to not care about anything. But deep down inside in every person's heart who has ever lived, this is one of the most universal truths I can think of is that humanity is made with this quest for longing to find more. And today we turn to the Beatitudes to give us clarity on that. Today our Beatitude is that you blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In other words, you are deeply blessed, satisfied to your core when you search, when you're starving, when you're parched, when you are looking for what is most real, God's righteousness. Or you are blessed when searching for truth leads you to an unrelenting search of God. It's like, yeah, like this restlessness, this inconsolableness, inconsolability, whatever that word is, like you are blessed when you just do not settle and when you are going after God. Because at the end of the day, you will be satisfied 
and all the longing questions in your soul will be satisfied in Jesus. And so this week we are back in our Beatitude series. Let's pray before we read, the God, before we read God's Word, before we go into this together so that we go in it unified in unity with clarity from the Holy Spirit to know to, how to hear God's Word, to know how to, for me, to preach God's Word. And then what do we do when we have it? Like, Lord, how do we burn on fire for you? How do we make ourselves hungry and thirsty for you? Not only right now, but in every year in the rest of my life, that in 10 years I'm more hungry than I am right now. How do we do that? Holy Spirit, can you help us? And so let's pray, entering into God's Word together, and then uh, we'll hear about this blessed beatitude. So, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your generosity. I thank you for all the intricate, beautiful, deep ways that you have made humanity to want to know truth, to want to grasp with what's real, Lord, to not live meaningless lives, Lord, that to not just be born an, an accident and die to nothing, Lord, but to have meaning, to find purpose, to find someone who will love us perfectly, who will never let us down, who will feed us every time we need a, a, a bite. Lord, uh, I love you. Please be with the preaching of your word, that it would be Holy Spirit infused. Holy Spirit, you are welcome into, my, into this room, into my heart right now. Lord, I also welcome you into everyone who's hearing this, Lord, that you would speak mightily to them. Do something uh, deep in us. Continue to work deeply through your Beatitudes in our hearts. Lord, we love you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. So today we are back in Matthew chapter 5. Today we are reading verses 1 to 6. And God's word says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's talk today, let's start today by talking about the hungry and the thirsty. This week, and really the last couple of weeks, have really made it hard for me to, want, to know what I want to say this week, because I want to say it all. Uh, I have personally been walking with a couple of people who have lost loved ones in the last couple of weeks, gone through tragedy. I've been around weeping. I've been around brokenness evident brokenness. I've been around death and its finality. And that causes me to reflect on this beatitude. And it causes me to want to like shout out as much as I can right from the beginning that this beatitude is, are for the urgent, are for the ones who really care. This beatitude is for the ones who won't settle. You know, death has this way of showing us that we are smaller than we think. We are less powerful than we think. That each and every single one of us will meet that one day, meet the end, and then meet Jesus. 
And this beatitude to me, we have to start off talking about how it's for the ones who are going to burn with passion. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the ones who like, are just so urgent in their need to go after what's right. Blessed are the seekers. Blessed are the ones who don't let life beat them down, who are going after what is true, what is right. And we believe that ultimately all of that, all that's good and lovely and pleasant belongs to Jesus, belongs to God, belongs to the Holy Spirit. And so first, let's just realize that blessed are the ones who are going after it. Not the Christians who have been around the block and have gotten way too comfortable with the Lord, who have like forget about reverence and forget about His holiness and forget about how good and big and vast He is. No, blessed are the ones who year after year are saying, Lord, make me more righteous, make me look like you more, make me be more like you, change my character, make my life show the character that you are building in me. Blessed are the ones who are like fish out of water, drowning, looking for righteousness, like desperately looking and not being satisfied, not being a sweatpants Christian, which we'll talk about in a second, but the ones who are really, really going after righteousness. This, be- this beatitude to me says, like, you will be satisfied in the, in the way that we talked about this in week number one, where, like, you have no longing, that you are, like, completely okay, that God is everything that you need and your character has been molded by Him and you look more like Him every day. It's like, blessed are you with this satisfaction that fills all of your cracks, that fills all of your brokenness, and blessed are you when you just like won't settle for anything less, but you are feverishly and urgently and passionately pursuing righteousness. You are going to be deeply blessed, deeply filled when that is in your character and the aim of your entire life, it is all-consuming. This inconsolable reality that's like, I am not okay where I am. I know I'm in grace. I know I'm in mercy. But man, I need to find God's grace and his righteousness on this earth. I need to look more like him. And my first question for us today is like, is that, does that describe who you are? Does that describe who we are? Does that describe the church that you find to be beautiful and passionate about Christ? Like how hungry and how thirsty am I? How willingly am I saying, like, Lord, make me hungry and thirsty. Make me starving for your righteousness. Make me, like, so parched in the desert going after you so that I don't satisfy myself anywhere else, but I'm going after you and your righteousness. Would that accurately describe you and your pursuit of Christ? How you live your life, how you do your job, how you make friends, what you talk about, what you spend your time doing. Like, Lord, I, I want to be able to confidently say that I burn with a passion for your righteousness and doing what you say is right. Because I don't have tomorrow promised to me. Because I don't want to realize that I've just been going through the motions for years. Or in, in a decade realizing that like I've just been spinning around in a circle. Like, no, that's, I'm not okay with that. Lord, I don't want that. Like, make me this person that you say is blessed, who's going after what you have for us, going after your righteousness. Would others even say that about me? Would others 
look at me and say, you know, there's something weird about him. He's always trying to do the right things. He's a goody two-shoe. Like, oh, like, uh, stay away from him. Don't do anything bad. Don't break any rules around him because he's not about that. I wonder how many of us are more focused. We have traded in this pursuit, this hunger, and this starving of righteousness for a comfortable gospel. For a gospel like in the Old Testament that said like, that people were just looking for prophets who would tickle their ears. I wonder how many of us forget about Matthew 7 and passages like that that challenge us and should scare us deeply. Not that we live our life in fear of the Lord, but it's like they should, parts of Him, He is so big, He is so unknowable, as well as He is my Lord and my Savior and my Father, that it, sometimes it should shake me a little bit so that I don't get too comfortable in all the wrong ways. Matthew chapter 7 is the story where Jesus is talking about the end, right? And some people come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these amazing things. We casted out demons. We prophesied in your name. We did all these miracles. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I have nothing to do with you. You weren't doing those things for me. I was like, oh, passages like that should scare me a little bit. Should scare me into waking up and pursuing him with everything that I have and not being a, a sweatpants Christian. If there's anything this one year, this past year has taught us is that <laughs> a lot of people love sweatpants. And a lot of people like bring that into every like, I'm just gonna, I'm done. I'm done caring. I'm gonna put on my sweatpants, I'm gonna chill out. This week at staff meeting, Ryan um, he reminded me about the importance of dating your spouse about keeping the passion alive, about keeping the, like, I am pursuing you, I am going after you, I am not just putting sweatpants on every day, communicating to you, eh, stay away, I'm kind of done for the night, like, okay, see you later, like, let's go watch a movie. Um, but no, like, how serious am I taking my pursuit of righteousness? How satisfied am I in life? Because it might be that I am not pursuing righteousness in my heart or in the world around me. How are we still dating our spouses if we have them? And how are we going after Christ to know Him better all the time? Blessed are those who don't give up their pursuit of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst and keep that hunger alive as they pursue Jesus year after year. Blessed are the non-Christians listening to this who are seeking. You are blessed. You're on a good journey. Keep looking. It will point to Christ. There's nothing that I am more sure of in this life. And so those are the hungry and the thirsty. Let's talk about righteousness. You know, for, before we really directly address righteousness, let's look at the pattern that we've seen so far in the Beatitudes. The first week was, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, those who are really aware of who they are and how broken they are. Those who are aware that the human condition is fallen and that we don't have goodness in us. We are bent towards evil. But you know what? We have this God who loves us, who lifts us up. And so blessed are you when you realize that you're poor in spirit because it's the poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom. And then that meant us, that led us to like, blessed are the ones who mourn because like I've realized how little I am. I've realized how empty I am, that I cannot feel much. And that causes me to mourn because I've sinned. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against myself and I've sinned against other people. And it's not okay. It causes me 
to mourn deeply, to get into grip emotionally with what I've done and how we hurt ourselves and the evil in this world. Blessed are you when you're crying because you will be comforted. And then because I know that I'm poor and then because I know that I mourn, it causes me to be meek because you know, I know that I am not all, that I am very empty and I can't feel much. And it causes me to be meek, to live this life of meekness, to put that on my character like, Holy Spirit, make me meek. And how those three come together and they're building and they're building and they're building and then it ends up leaving at the door of this being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because I know that I'm poor and I have the tears to back it up and I know that I'm meek and I have to lay myself down for God and for other people. And then that causes me to like, oh, like I need something that's real then. If I'm this poor, if I'm mourning this much, if I'm this meek, like it, I need something to be filled with because I know I'm empty and I can't fill much and I need something to fill me. And what the Bible says over and over and over again is that it's God's righteousness that comes into my character and my life and my spirit and changes everything about me. And so let's talk about the three aspects of righteousness that the Bible talks about all the time. I'm convinced that this beatitude is mainly talking about number two and number three here, but we have to mention number one as well. The first one being this legal righteousness. And what we mean by this is this right relationship with God. The Bible talks often about our salvation and the terms of our spirits in terms of like in legal terms, right? It's something unexpected for us. We don't know this, but like often the picture that is painted is like this legal argument. And God's saying here that legal righteousness is also like, Lord, you are my master. You are the God of the universe, the one who made everything. And so I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to have good legal standing with you. And so at the moment of salvation, when I'm like, Lord, I know that I am poor. I know that I'm a mourner and that I should be meek. I want to hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And so I want to be in right relationship with you. I want you to be the head and I want you to be my Lord, you to be my Redeemer, you to be everything for me. I want to be your child. I want you to be my master. I want to submit to you. And at the moment of salvation, like true salvation, this legal righteousness is made complete in Christ. I might not feel it, but my spirit is saved through and through because of what Christ did for me. I have his legal standing with the Lord. And that's, that's amazing and that is beautiful. The second form of righteousness that scripture talks about all the time is a moral righteousness. And this is when my character and my conduct come together to show what I really believe in and what I'm pursuing. It's like, Lord, that's why in the Beatitudes we keep talking about our character. Lord, come into my character. Make me to be who you want, who you call me to be, who you've made me to be. Like, Lord, who you envision me to be. I want to be this person that is growing deep in my character with you. And because character never stops with just what's going on inside of me, change my conduct. You know, I do what I do because it comes out of my heart. My dad is uh, the king of dad jokes, right? My whole life, I'm pretty, like, I'm convinced he's written 90% of dad jokes. That, that He's just hilarious and sometimes hilarious in all the wrong ways. And my dad had this one in particular, when somebody would come up to compliment any one of his kids, me, my brother, or my sister, like whenever anyone had anything good to say, he would turn it into a dad joke moment. And he would say, well, he would say something like, well, uh, you know, pineapples don't grow from apple trees, right? He's like <laughs> pointing back to himself. But 
It's like, you know, like, of course, look at me, look at his mother, like, of course he's going to turn out this awesome. And I just, like, kept on thinking about that this week in terms of moral righteousness. Like, Lord, I want to look like you. You are my father, and so I want to look like you. I want you to encompass all parts of my characters. One of the things that we talked about in week one of this uh, sermon, uh, sermon series was this call to be countercultural, right? At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, there's this call. It's like, don't be like them. And Jesus was talking especially about the Pharisees, specifically about the Pharisees. Like, don't be like them. They do everything for show. They are seen as the most holy people, but they only give their tithes in front of everyone. They give at the busiest times in the temple. They pray with the most elaborate words in public, in the square, just so people would see how nice they are, how holy they are. It's like, don't be like that. Be different. Be deeper. Be transformed. Be poor in spirit. Be a mourner. Be meek. You know, have something that's real in your character. And it starts with your character. Like, Lord, please just change me. When you change my character, you'll change my conduct. Like, I want to be hungry and I want to be thirsty and I want to go after you every day of my life. I don't want to settle. Like, I don't want to just be me. I've been me for a long time and it's not enough. I'm empty and I can't feel much, Lord. And so this beatitude is like so special because this moral part is like, Lord, I want your moral righteousness. Change me from the inside out. And then the last form of righteousness that scripture always talks about that's never doesn't follow long after whenever God talks about our moral character he talks about our social character our social righteousness that acknowledging that if if I belong to the one who made all this who loves everyone and has given everyone the image of him then it's going to cause me to take my private life into my public life and say, like, Lord, this, these injustices cannot stand. The church needs to be about these things for you, Lord. Lord, change me because it needs to change the world. Change the church because we're supposed to be your prophetic presence in this world. We don't want to settle. I want to be hungry. I want to leave the world better than, I, than it was when I came in here. Because on its own, we know that the world is headed towards darkness. The Lord, change my character. First, change my legal righteousness, because I am filthy. And then change my moral righteousness, because my character is deficient and I need you. And then change my societal righteousness, going after your peace and your justice for the whole world, to talk about it in systems and in governments and in operations and in organizations like everywhere that's righteousness is to pursue the good things that God has said the dignity of people restoration of this world Lord, Lord I, I want your righteousness in my legal standing with you in my moral character and then in also how I pursue justice in this world and all of that leads to us being satisfied in the end one of the things that I, I did in this week to prepare for this is like I was asking myself a lot of questions because like I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to be thirsty, right? We talked about this weeks ago when we talked about the one by gospel of Psalm 23. It's like I don't want you to lead me in the desert, Lord. I want to be like this fat sheep lying in the pasture, not even having to move. I want to be so blessed by you and by life that I don't even have to move. But like God over and over and over again says, no, nah, that's like... 
That's not how this works. You have to pursue me. You have to find me. Over and over and over again in Scripture, God talks about seeking Him. He loves to be found. He All the time He talks about looking for me because I will be found by you. Look for me. I will be found by you. And so I was like, Lord, I don't want to be hungry. Uh, but then I started to investigate the benefits of being hungry, even medically. I, I hesitate to come here because I know we have some doctors, but I, I read this really cool article from a Christian doctor talking about hunger and thirst for righteousness and how like God has made that for us to even experience in our bodies. And like hunger and thirst, they're not good, right? I mean, it means that you're, you need sustenance, right? But the act of being hungry and thirsty is good. It means that your body is working properly. It's telling you that it is deficient and it needs more things, right? And so I was like, whoa, what causes us to lose our hunger? And the list that I found was actually like uh, pretty telling, spiritually even. I looked up this list and I read this article and I was like, what, are, what really kills hunger? The list is anxiety. Anxiety kills like my appetite and it also in my life kills a desire to keep going, to keep chasing after God with everything that I have, right? Depression. Depression will kill striving and hunger and thirst and going after it and sacrificing. Depression is a, will kill it for sure. Stress. Stress is another thing that kills hunger. It's like, oh, when I'm stressed, five minutes, I stop caring. I stop caring about the things. I take my eyes off of what is most important, and I am wholly fixated on this one thing. It's like, Lord, whenever stress comes in my life and in my journey with you, like I know quite often I drop the ball. Certain illnesses like a stomach virus or the flu or a common cold kill hunger. Pregnancy was surprising to me. I don't really have a uh, parallel there, but I wanted to throw it in there because it was on the list. Um, maybe it's like forming life, I, distracted or thinking about others more, uh, something like that. I'm sure there's some equivalent. Justin could have found some equivalent there. Or uh, health conditions like kidney disease, liver disease, heart failure, and certain types of cancers. Chronic pain deters hunger and thirst. And I'm like, yeah, the Lord, that, how many times in my heart am I like, my thirst and hunger and my pursuit and my passion for you are like deterred because I'm just hurting all the time. I'm like just crying inside. And how can you like, sometimes I can't really pursue you because I'm just like want to cry all the time. But like, no, like we're, you are crying. So let that fuel your, right, your pursuit of righteousness. And I also read about this condition. Uh, it was called the uh, Prater Willie syndrome. And it's people who like unnaturally feel hungry all of the time and are never satisfied. And there is definitely some metaphor there, but I was like, like Lord, I want to hunger and I'm going to thirst for you. All of these things on this list I know deter me from actually going after you, but I don't want that to be the case. I read this uh, quote from a, a well-known pastor, John Piper. He says, Deep and lasting satisfaction for our souls comes not from the delight of the world, nor from a merely religious or vertical relationship with God. 
Satisfaction comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know Him in the struggle to be like Him in this world. I really like that. It's like that, that those who really are deeply satisfied are the ones who are going after righteousness in all of its forms, doing what's right, working good work for the Lord and people, and, and not even just as your main job, but like in your life, how are you pursuing these things? How are you have your character wide open to the Lord and said, Lord, shape me, mold me, change me. I need to look more like you. Looking like me is not the answer. I have learned that I want to look more like you. Lord, I, I want to be deeply satisfied. On the first week of this series, we talked about what it means to be truly satisfied. Have no longings. That when I, when I think about myself, I think of like an arid desert with all those cracks on the ground. It's like, Lord, I want to be satisfied. I want to have every single one of those cracks filled by you and your present and a pursuit of work that is meaningful and just and beautiful. Just like in the hippie coming, the pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. Like, Lord, I, I, I need something that is real. And I think you are the most real thing in this entire world. And so let's conclude all of this a little bit together. This week, um, I've been thinking a lot about how to wrap this all up because it's, I even right now, I feel so scattered. Like I have a million things that I would love to say that I just I couldn't say or didn't feel right to say. And I landed on just two things. One is thinking about how Jesus interacted with those who were hungry and thirsty, how he fed them, how he, in Elijah in the Old Testament, how he came down here and he gave his servant a nap, he baked him some bread, he gave him a cup to drink. It's like, Lord, like, I want you to do those things for me. Like, Lord, I believe that you're the one who fed 2,000 and then 5,000 with just a few loaves and just a few fishes, and it was enough for everyone, and everyone had left over. Like, Lord, I believe that you can satisfy my every hunger, physical and spiritual and emotional. It's like, Lord, I also know that you're the one who promised this living water, who said that I will never thirst if I drink from your water. It's like, Lord, I believe that that is true, and I want that for myself. I want to have this passion to pursue both every day of my life. I don't want to be too comfortable in this life. I want to seek after you in 30 years and 40 years better than I did right, than I do right now. It's like, Lord, I believe that you are the God of the great picnic and I believe you're the God of the living water who can make a way in all of the driest deserts in this world. Because I know in my own heart, often I feel like a desert. And then I also want us to remember that Jesus is the same God of Acts 17. That somehow in God's immensity, Acts 17 can be true in Him and no one else. Acts 17, verses 26 and 27 says this, And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. I love that. God here in Acts 17 says, you know what? 
You live right now. You live in the time that you live. You live in the place that you live. You live in all the circumstances that you were given because it's this life that you will best seek the Lord. He's not far. And he wants, he will be found by you over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, in Proverbs, in Revelation, like God says, like, I will be found. Search, knock, and I will answer the door. He's, out, he's the one knocking. He's the one coming after us. And so, church, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are the ones who go after him with a passion. You know, sometimes I feel like preaching in, in, in metaphors and in secret to see who's, like, who's really going to go after it and who's not. Jesus taught in parables, it says, in part because it weeded out those who didn't care, who wouldn't go after him, who wouldn't think about this, who wouldn't take this seriously. And so, like, Lord, I want to go after you. I want to hunger for you. I want to be satisfied. And that comes with, being, with pursuing your righteousness with everything that I have. And so, church... Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let us chase after God with everything that we have to know our Maker, to know our Savior, to know our Redeemer, and to know our Counselor. Like, let's, let's go after it today with an urgency because we don't know how long we have. And I want to live every day of my life to the fullest and be satisfied right now, even now with Christ not just in heaven. And so church, we love you. Next week, we'll be back at it with the Beatitudes Sermon Series. We'll be in our MCs this week. We'll be having the prayer calls. Join us. We love you very much. I love you. Love this journey with all of you. We're praying for you. And um, we'll see you soon.